Would you uh, bow your heads and your hearts with me for prayer? Father, one of the things that we have the most difficulty understanding uh, is your grace. It's so illogical. It's so unbelievable. It's so big. It's so amazing. We, we, we really don't know what to do with it. So, Father, my prayer for each of us this morning is that the Word of God would come alive, first of all, in this room, and then it would come alive in the hearts of every individual sitting in here. And that that word would help us to see clearly the grace of God. Lord, we're the first ones to recognize and to admit that our sin is big. <laughs> oh, Lord, forgive us. Our sin is big. But um, your grace is even bigger. May we feel that, know that, believe that today. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. So a truck driver was carrying a load of uh, 500 penguins to the zoo. Unfortunately, his truck broke down and He eventually waved down another truck and offered the driver $500 to deliver his penguins to the zoo. And the second driver accepted. The next day, the first truck driver got his truck fixed and drove downtown. And when he got downtown, uh, he couldn't believe his eyes. Just ahead of him, he saw the second truck driver crossing the road with 500 penguins single file waddling behind him. He jumped out of his truck. Ran up to the guy and said, what's going on? I gave you $500 to take these penguins to the zoo. To which the man responded, I did take them to the zoo, but we had enough money left over. We're also going to the movies. (laughs) Some of you took a while to get that. Have you ever had that kind of a misunderstanding? I mean, it's perfectly clear to you what you're trying to say, right? And. And exactly, you know exactly what you mean, but the message just doesn't communicate. It just doesn't get across. I think that's what the Apostle Paul felt in writing this book of Colossians. Now, not only is this the theme of Colossians, but it's also the theme of of Ephesians and Galatians, that this idea that Paul is trying to communicate in a very powerful way is simply Jesus plus nothing equals everything. But the Colossians kept saying, oh, yeah, okay, that that sounds good. That sounds religious. That sounds spiritual. But but it can't be that simple, right? It just can't be. I mean, they kept saying, well, how about this? Jesus is great. Therefore, Jesus plus circumcision, the Jewish Christian said, that's even better, right? Jesus plus circumcision. Now, that's the the thing. Now, Now you really got something. Or Jesus plus Moses. Or Jesus plus Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That, that's really got to be better, right? And others said, well, how about Jesus plus angels? Because angels, everybody loves them, and they float around, and they have little wings. And, and Jesus, Jesus is good, but Jesus plus angels, that's got to be better. just has to be. Or Jesus plus good works. Or Jesus plus my job. Or Jesus plus my family. Or Jesus plus my checkbook. It's, it's got to be better, right? And Paul said, 
No, you're, you're completely misunderstanding what I'm trying to say. Your, your, your Jesus is too small. If you're constantly trying to add something to Jesus, to understand how big he is and how big his love is, how big his... If you're constantly trying to add something to him, your Jesus is too small. He's bigger than creation. In fact, he created all things. That's what we read. That's what we saw last week in the song of, of Christ's supremacy. Now, what I read you earlier before our worship today from Psalm 33. Remember those words? This is beautiful. He merely spoke and the heavens were created. He breathed the word and all the stars were born. If Jesus created the stars and the heavens and the earth, he's got to be bigger than all of those things. He's got to be bigger than all of that. Is he bigger than your pain? When your life is spinning out of control, we looked at this last week. The Bible says he sustains you or or he holds you together. He's bigger than pain and suffering and brokenness. In fact, he promised that one day... One day the world will be changed. In fact, all of creation will be changed. Jesus promised, I will make all things new. (laughs) Not just all things better. I will make all things new. And not only that, not only am I bigger than creation, and not only am I bigger than the church, but I'm bigger than your sin. Now that's where we get stopped. Just like in the in the skit, uh, the guy that was playing Peter, you know, you, you know, it was great that he's Jesus alive and all, but he just couldn't get his head around the fact that his big sin was forgiven. Jesus says, "I'm big enough to save you. I'm big enough to rescue you. I'm big enough to redeem you. I'm big enough to hold on to you." How, how does that feel this morning? I know we try to approach this intellectually, and we we should, but what does that feel like inside of you? That he's big enough to redeem you. He's big enough to hold on to you. Let that seep into your soul. Let that percolate inside of you. Today, I want to share with you just one thing. And it's, it's two ideas from our first chapter of Colossians. Two ideas from this next portion of Scripture in Colossians 1. And those two ideas are a contrast. And so here's the one thing I want you to hear today. And this is the only thing you have to remember in this message today. So here it is. Big sin, big grace. Big sin, big grace. Let's pick up where we left off last week. We went through uh, verses 15 to 20, the song of Christ's supremacy. And we recognize that he was supreme over all creation, supreme over all things, supreme over the church, and yes, supreme even over you. And he wants to be supreme over every part of your life. Why? And Paul explains in verses 21 and 22, this is what Paul says. Now, this includes you. Now, now he's talking not only to the Colossians, but he's talking to you. This is one of those passages in the Bible that is, is prescriptive. It's for all people for all time. He said, so this includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence 
And you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. You go, wow, (laughs) amazing. The reason this is such good news, the reason this is so vast and wonderful as good news is because the bad news is so huge and horrible. The gospel is big, very big. It's enormous because our sin is big. It's very big. It's enormous. I'm probably eight or nine years old, and where we lived, um, we had a little country store run by a guy. He owned it, supplied it, stocked the shelves, ordered. You know, it was a one-man operation. And whenever we needed stuff, when my mom didn't want to go off the hill and, and buy a, a lot of groceries, we'd just go up to this little store, and we had a little running account. So need a half gallon of milk, you go up there and, and the guy says, I'll just put it on your tab. And then my parents would settle that at the end of the month. So we had this place and it was great. Whenever my mom would say something like, Dwayne, why don't you go up and get some ice cream? Woo, let's go. You know, so I go up, but I, I was up there getting some things for my mom this one day. And the, uh, the, the owner was busy doing something else. Uh, he greeted me when I came in and I don't know what got into me, but I reached, just reached over and grabbed uh, a nickel candy bar, a Snickers. And I put it in my pocket. Never done anything like that before. And, um, and so then I, immediately I felt my heart kind of pounding. You know, I'm eight, nine years old, right? And so I get the stuff from my mom. He says, I'll put it on your bill. And as I, as I leave the store, uh, I, 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 the first of all th- thing that I'm thinking and I'm feeling my heart beating is that I just, I just stole a candy bar. And the second thing, almost immediately on top of that, that I thought was this. That was really easy. That was really simple. I mean, nobody knows, nobody's really hurt, you know, it's pretty, pretty easy. So I go home, I lock myself in the bathroom, because that's always where you go when you want to eat a candy bar that's been stolen. <laughs> and I start eating my Snickers, and it just, you know, by the way, if you eat a Snickers in the bathroom, it just doesn't taste the same. Trust me, trust me. And it didn't. And as I was eating it, I got about halfway through it, and I felt guilty, and I went out and I told my dad what I did, and and the reaction to my, of my dad and the store owner was big, big, much bigger than it should have been, I thought. You know, I had to work in that store for two weeks, cleaning up and sweeping up and stocking shelves after school. Yeah, right. Hey, it was a five-cent candy bar. Be nice to me. And, and, but, so their response was it was big, right? right? So fast forward 35 years. So I, I'm at Marble Retreat. I've confessed to Sherry and my counselor that I'm, I've got a gambling addiction. That night, Sherry and I are in the whirlpool by ourselves, and I'm filling up the whirlpool with my tears. And with her grace that surrounds me, I'm saying, I can't believe that I did this. I can't believe that I'm so deceptive. I can't believe that my sin is so big, and it just, it just kind of poured out of me. So, so here's, here's the point to my story. My sin was big but it was no bigger than that candy bar. The deception was the same. There's something inside of me, something inside of me, whether I'm eight years old or 45 years old, something inside of me that says, I want it my way, and I demand it to be my way. My sin was big. The Bible says that that sin, whether it's the candy bar or the gambling, that sin alienates me from God. You know what that means? Alienates? It means there's a wall between me and God. It means I'm the enemy of God. 
In this passage, Paul comes through clearly with the bad news as well as the good. And the bad news, he he does it in vivid language, language that's very startling to me. This is what he says. You once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Colossians 1.21. Now, when I read that, and you probably have the same feeling, uh, you kind of want to go to Paul, hey, pal, back off. Back off. And I'm trying to love God here, and I'm trying to live a good life, and I... You know, I, I'm, I'm no Hitler. I'm no Ted Bundy. I'm even better than my neighbor, at least the one I know. And, you know, I, I'm not that bad. You know, I, we have the tendency to want to say to Paul, come on, back off, man. But what Paul's describing is a, a condition that you and I were born into. Now, it's called um, Adam's sin. It's called the Adamic um, a, a prescription. It's called a lot of things. But the bottom line is this. When Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden, that set in motion a kind, of, a, 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 a kind of sin that every one of us has been born into. You say, well, that's not fair. Well, of course it is, because the moment you have the opportunity, you're going to sin anyway. That's been tr- proven over and over and over again. So, so we're born into this sin, this original sin, this Adam curse, we call it. We come into this world as an enemy of God, Romans 5.10. No one, not even the cutest baby, as beautiful as this little baby was that we saw Micah on the screen, not one starts out free or morally neutral or disposed towards God. We come into this world needing to be liberated, needing to be redeemed by the grace of God. Paul said it this way in Ephesians 2. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live. You used to um, live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in this seen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to be that way. Did you hear that? All of us used to be that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations. There's the word of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. What he's saying is that from the time we are born until the time that we surrender our lives to Jesus Christ, we are constantly bending a knee towards ourself. We're constantly wanting something for ourselves. It's always about sin and selfishness. And until we say yes to God and bend a knee towards him, we have become the God of our lives. We are alienated from God, it says. We are bent towards sin and selfishness. Now, some of you might say, well, you know what? That's just not me. I've never been hostile towards God, just indifferent. (laughs) Well, the scripture tells us very clearly that indifference towards God is hostility towards God. Indifference toward God says that there is something else in my life or someone else that is supreme. And it's usually me. <laughs> and, and, and we say that indifference toward God, is that doesn't mean I'm hostile toward it. The Bible says it's exactly what it means. Uh, John Piper, a, a preacher, says it this way. Idolatry is a suicidal exchange of infinite value and beauty for some fleeting inferior substitute. Indifference is idolatry. It's a divided heart. It says that, oh, God's okay, but he's just not enough. He's not enough for me. There's got to be something more. That's what indifference says, and the Bible calls that idolatry. We're hostile towards God in mind, constantly at cross-purposes 
with him. Let me, let me explain, and you, you'll recognize this. So you're driving down uh, the 202, and uh, somebody's trying to merge, and they cut you off. And you immediately get you immediately get mad. You feel that just kind of your temperature rise, and 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 because you're a believer, you don't flip them off, but in your mind you do, and uh, and somehow that's more sanctified. And 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 so, and so you're really mad, and you even say something like "raka" or or "idiot" or something like that, and and you're mad because they took some of your space. At that moment, you are at cross purposes with Christ. At that moment, you are at cross purposes with Christ. Because at that moment, here's what he's, you know, I wonder what this guy's story is. Uh, he's someone for whom Jesus would say, for whom I died. I, I wonder what was going on in his life. I, I wonder how I can somehow, some way, pray for him, lift him up, make him realize that Jesus loves him just like he loves me. So we all recognize that. Well, how about this? Something even bigger. So 9-11 happens. And immediately, um, we are suspicious of anyone that looks Arab, <laughs> anyone that looks Muslim, anyone that looks different, at least in that Eastern Asia sort of way. And, and we have this sense, and, and some of us, and it is more than caution, it's anger. And some, many, <laughs> is hatred. And this is in us, and we feel it, and it's visceral, and we know it. And, and at that moment, we are at cross purposes with Christ again. For him, what is it, what it would take for this man, someone to come alongside this person that runs the gas station or is at a 7-Eleven? What will it take for me to come alongside them and be the witness of Christ in their life? See, see, we're not thinking that way. We're thinking about, oh, let's protect ourselves. And our, when we say ourselves, what we mean is ourselves is from we, them. You know, it's a we, them thing. And God is a, a us God. He's a we God. He's not a us, them God. And so that... That cross purposes, we just don't even have any room for that in our lives at that moment. You see, even after we're redeemed, we have these um, moments of uh, hating our enemies. And the Bible is very clear that the most distinctive thing about Christianity is that uh, Jesus is the only religion that says you're supposed to love your enemies. Not like them. I don't even like my enemies. You're supposed to love your enemies. What does that look like? See, we find ourselves at cross purposes with Jesus. Why? Because evil... Colossians 1.21, we have evil thoughts, evil mind, we have an evil mind. Now, that word evil in the Greek is the exact same word that's used to describe, please don't, don't throw anything at me, I'm just the messenger. That word evil that says about your mind, that same word used to describe Satan and his demons. See, <laughs> let me say it this way, we're, we're a lot worse off than we think. Our sin is a lot bigger than we have ever imagined. How, how big is our sin? Um, we are enemies of God. Death reigned. In other words, it ruled in my life because of my rebellion. And I am constantly bent towards self and towards sin. Uh, Tulian Trevijan says it this way. Generation after generation, the sin is ceaseless, the death all-encompassing, the condemnation comprehensive. So, go back a few hundred years. Martin Luther, before he was a reformer, he was just a sincere Catholic priest. Just one of the guys who was trying to do the right thing. And in order to do the right thing, he was told by the church, and this is going on for a thousand years now in the Dark Ages, uh, he was told that you had to make penance for your sin 
in order to get rid of your sin. And so at one point, um, Martin Luther crawled on his hands and knees on cobblestone roads about three miles and crawled right up on the stage of the, the altar of the church and laid himself prostrate and said, God, my sin is so great. My sin is so great. Uh, Here I am before you with bloody knees and bloody hands. Please accept my forgiveness. And he said the second he did that, a thought came into his mind that why aren't other people doing this? Why aren't other people as good as I am? Why aren't other people as sorry for their sins as I am? And as soon as that thought came into his mind, he said, I've got to do this all over again. So he crawled back on his hands and knees. Here's the point of Martin Luther. He recognized that his sin was too big for him to deal with it. (laughs) I don't care how holy you think you are, how pure your mind is. I don't care. Your, Your sin is too big for you to handle. It's big. How big? Well, let's let's look. So Jesus dies on the cross. And for a thousand years, again, during that dark ages when the Holy Roman Empire was just kind of suffocating the world and suffocating religion. Um, there was the thought, and you can read in all the literature, even Martin Luther had some of this in him, that the, the, the reason that they, they said, this is who killed, who did they say killed Jesus? Anybody want to say? The Jews. Exactly. There's the scapegoat. And you see it in all the writing, the literature, you see it in the pictures. You wonder why there's such a, uh, uh, an angst, an enmity between uh, the Jewish race and other people. They're, for a thousand years, they said it, it was the Jews' fault. Or if somebody didn't want to say that, they said it was the Romans' fault for not interfering. But here's the, bottom, here's the truth of that story. In regards to that thousand years of bad teaching, the truth of the story is this. That Jesus died on the cross because of your sins. Your sins. Nobody else on this planet except you. He still dies on the cross. Because, you know why? Because your sins are big. They're huge. Your heart is broken. Your heart is black. It's big. It's huge. You can't possibly deal with it. There's um, a gal in our church whose father, and and I don't know him, but uh, he lives in another state, but he's dying of cancer. And she and her family are worried because he doesn't want to face the truth. Yeah, I, I don't want to do the procedures. I don't want to do the this, and I don't want to do that. And I don't want to change my diet. And I don't, no, I, you, know, I, you know, I'm okay. Just leave me alone. I'm, I, I'm okay. And there's a sense that uh, that uh, he, he's dying, and everybody knows he's dying, except he just doesn't recognize it. Well, folks, that's about six billion people on this planet. Dead man walking. Dead woman walking. Walking through life. Ah, it's, ah, I'm all right. You know, yeah, I've, got, I've got a few things going on. Yeah, I'm, I'm all right. I'm not going to, you know. You just, you just don't recognize it. You don't acknowledge it. And, and Paul comes along and just slaps us in the face. He says, are you kidding me? Do you realize how big your sin is? And, and, and here's how big it is. The sin that is in your life, it's killing you. The wages of sin is death. Period. The sin in your life is killing you. And so Paul gives us the antidote. All this, as Paul knows and wants us to know, only magnifies the sweet immensity of the much more. Much more that God has done for us through the gospel. And I'm not going to put up the whole passage of Romans 5, but I'll just put up a few verses on the screen. 
Uh, This Romans 5 passage talks about the glorious good news. The good news for you. You, yes, you who has this enormous sin, you has no ability, just like Martin Luther, to deal with your sin. This is for you. And here's what Paul says. In verse five, chapter 5, verse 15, Much more have the grace of God and the free gift of the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Much more. Notice he says that. Next passage. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in the life, excuse me, in life through the one man, Christ Jesus, Romans 5.17. One act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men, Romans 5.18. So that grace also might reign through the righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, Romans 5.21 from the absolute worst possible scenario, the worst possible news you could ever believe, that you are enemies of God, that your sin has alienated you from God, now that is contrasted with the best possible news ever. The distance covered between our sin and God's love is infinite. So how do we get from alienated, evil enemies to holy, blameless, standing before God without a single fault? What is that distance? I'll tell you what that distance is. It is big. (laughs) What will it take to bridge that gap? Paul says this. It'll take a big Jesus. It'll take big love. And it'll take big grace. The reach between your sin and God's grace is cosmic big. But he made the way. So one of my all-time favorite movies, you're going to laugh, is Back to the Future. 1985. I loved everything about that movie. Especially uh, Doc Brown. And uh, the machine he built, uh, you know, with the gigawatts. He said, you need so many, I forget how many gigawatts, but you need these many gigawatts. In order to send that DeLorean back to the future from 1955 back to 1985, you need so many gigawatts. And the only thing that has that power is what? Lightning, right? And the clock tower, and he's got the plug and all that. And so we're getting down to the end, and Marty's in the DeLorean ready to go 88 miles an hour and hit the, the wire just as he goes by, and that'll give the gigawatts to push him back into 1985. And, and it's all going good, except the, the, the cord that Doc Brown has, it doesn't quite reach. Remember that? And, of course, they give you about 10 minutes of a 30-second angst and, and then, you know, and all that. And, and, and finally, and if, I don't know if you recognize, see this in the movie. We just saw it again not too long ago. Uh, that, that he actually didn't make the plug go together until a, 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 a second after the car hit the wire. And what happened was when that lightning struck, you could see it, that lightning actually went through Doc Brown's body. Now, of course, he'd melt, but that's, this is a story, right? And so initially, that, that lightning goes through Dr. Brown, and then finally he puts it together. But that's, that's Jesus Christ in your life. You can't possibly get that thing together. You can't possibly deal with your sin. But Jesus Christ grabbed your hand in one and the hand of God in the other, and those gigawatts came through Christ, and you have been free, and you have been redeemed, and you have been saved, and you have been rescued, and and all of that has been done because your sin is so big that God's grace is even bigger. I want to go back to the future, don't you? In fact, I want to go to the future. Colossians 1, 19 and 20 says this, For... 
God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. His reach, his reach was enough to call all things into existence just by Psalm 33, a whisper. His reach was great enough to reach down to this earth and take your sin as if it was his own and die for it. We're a few months, a couple months away from uh, from Christmas, but one of the great hymns that we sing, we sing it as a Christmas carol, but it's really a great hymn of the church. And we don't always sing all the verses, but one of the verses to joy to the world is this. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Just let that settle for a moment. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Well, how far is the curse found? (laughs) Through all the world. Through all the universe. Remember, he said, I'll make all things new, not just people, but everything. I'll make all things new. The gospel, the love of Jesus is big enough. His redemption flows as far as the curse is found. Once we were a hostile enemy. Now we are, and this is describing you. Now you are chosen. You are holy. (laughs) You are beloved. And you stand before him faultless. See, a, a secret that most of the world doesn't know when they drive by our church is they're going to Intel or somewhere else and they see that sign that says no perfect people allowed. Here's a secret that we're not going to tell them. In Christ, you are perfect. Your sins are wiped away. Past, present, and future. Your sins are atoned for. How big is your sin? Unbelievably, cosmic big. How big is the grace of God? Even bigger still. Once we were hostile, but now we are called holy and beloved. See, the bigness of our sin yields nothing. We're alienated, we're enemies. The bigness of our sin yields nothing. But the bigness of Jesus fills that nothing with everything. Everything becomes nothing. Big grace overcomes Big sin. The blood of Jesus washes away our iniquities. 2 Corinthians 5.21 He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Everything became nothing for our sake. So you've seen this illustration before. Here in this hand represents your life the enormous sin of your life. You might say it's a candy bar sin, but it's, believe me, it's enormous. You're alienated from God. You're an enemy of God. And your mind, your heart, your thoughts are wicked. That's your life. And here's what the Bible says about you, that all of that that is you, this represents Christ. All of you comes over to Jesus. And all of him, his big grace, his enormous love, His everlasting life, all of that comes over to you. It's called the great, the glorious exchange. And he did that 
for you. Jean Vernier, who's the founder of Large Communities, some of you recognize that, where Henry Nouwen spent most of the significant years of ministry among the severely disabled. He was given a fitting benediction at his at Nowen's ordination to the priesthood. This is what uh, Veneer said at Nowen's ordination. May all your expectations be frustrated. May all your plans be thwarted. May all your desires be withered into nothingness. That you may experience the powerlessness and poverty of a child and sing and dance in the love of God the Father, the Son the Spirit. Amen. Hope Covenant Church, I have some bad news. We are failures. Epic failures. The church hear this. I have some good news too that's even greater. We are epic failures who are radically loved by God, whose everythingness overwhelms our nothingness, whose bigness overcomes our sin. Big sin? Absolutely. Bigger grace. Thanks be to God. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Father, the most loved song of all time is Amazing Grace. And when we read Colossians 1, we get maybe and for some of us, the first time we get a, a sense uh, of the scope uh, of your amazing grace. The reason it's so amazing, and the reason it's so big and beautiful and spectacular is because our sin is so big and spectacular. So, Father, this morning, we as your people humbly come before you in prayer. Recognizing for some of us that even as we've been preaching this morning, some of us have, have, have said to ourselves, well, really, my sin's just not that big. Yeah, you're, you've got a candy bar sin. And, um, and Father, I pray that your spirit would anoint them and help them to see that, that all sin is rebellion against God. But you have made a way. Big grace. Big grace. So, Father, I would pray this prayer for your people here at Hope. May you recognize that your sin is big. But don't live defined by that. Because your big sin has been overwhelmed by God's big grace. Live in that freedom. Live in that joy. Live in that purpose. For Jesus' sake.